Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. We're so glad that you came. How many glad you came this morning? Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Come on now. All right. Where are we going to open up our Bible to? No, Hebrews chapter 1. What? What's the... No, way off, man. Come on. Are you... <laughs> oh, man, I thought you were just ready to go this morning. Well, I guess... Just kidding. You, you know, you were, you were correct last week or two weeks ago. But this morning, I want you to turn your Bibles. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. And before we got into this, you know, this morning I asked my oldest son, I said, Jace, could you, could you just pray with me for this morning? And his prayer this morning was, dear God, please help Papa do good. <laughs> so I read between the lines. I said, basically, you're asking the Lord that I don't suck. Is that kind of what we're going for? So as we said, yeah, thank you, Lord, for the grace and the anointing and the ability to do so. So that's just so you know, the, Jace prayed a, a prayer that it's, it's going to be good because the Lord's on it. So thank you, Jesus. Aren't you thankful to the Lord? He always shows up. He's never retracted. He always continues to advance with us, encourage us, build us up in these days that we're in. I mean, I'm so thankful. I don't know about you, but if I wasn't saved in 2022, I'd get saved real quick. I mean, to have a relationship with Jesus is the most wonderful thing that you could ever imagine. And we're going to continue on. Just some things have been stirring in my heart over the course of this time. And I believe I've been praying this Ephesians prayers over myself regularly and you know, for the church as well. And the Lord has been helping me, opening up my eyes to see some things, ways that I thought this is how, you know, the Lord operates or how the Lord, you know, kind of is. The Lord has just revealed in his kindness so much more to me that I'm going, oh, man, like, okay, I was stuck in some religious patterns back then. The Lord is so good that he wants to open up our eyes to see. And so I believe this morning that as we continue going on this journey of basically learning to live a victorious life, that Jesus will continue to reveal himself to you and I. That's what we're interested in, is we want to see him for who he is. So we have eyes that are blessed, we can see. Our ears are blessed, we can hear. And again, I'm not just talking about these natural and these natural ears and eyes, but the eyes of our heart, the ears of our heart can be enlightened that we can see exactly what we need to see. So this morning, we're going to get into talking about the grace of God, and we're going to go forward in this. And I mean, you could say, oh, I've, I've heard about the grace of God. Listen, the grace of God is so vast. There's so much you could talk about it. But again, it's important because this is the day and age that we are living in. So let's read this. It says, throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. Aren't you thankful that the Lord speaks? Now, that's even a foreign concept to even a lot of Christians. God speaks. Yeah, well, we know, he got, you know God speaks once in a while. No, he speaks regularly. This is who he is. He, we have a God that talks. And I'm so thankful throughout our history, God has continued to speak. And notice how he's done it in many different ways. And again, not going to get into this, but it's really crucial. You actually see that God has seven dispensations. And each dispensation, God had to relate to mankind differently. That's why you see, you know, in the Garden of Eden, it was different. And the moment after the fall, it was different in Genesis chapter 3. It was different with Noah. Then after the flood, all of these things come into play. There was many different ways that God spoke. And now we're going to see the revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time building truth upon truth. Again, you could kind of see it like, here's another piece of a puzzle. Here's another piece of a puzzle. Here's another piece of a puzzle. And he would do that throughout the generations that we've just reading about. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 is, again, Old Testament. And the very verse 2, you see this, but to us, say to me, living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of 
of a son. God's language is sonship now to you and I. The appointed heir of everything, for through him, God created the panorama of all things for all time. So now to live effectively and to live victoriously in this life, we need to have a clear understanding of the time period that we are in to know how God is speaking to us today. Again, as we just saw, there have been many different ways that God speaks to his people. And so we have to recognize how he's doing it and in the style that he's now speaking. It's crucial for us. Frustration comes in Christianity is when we're trying to connect with God in a wrong time period and living in the wrong dispensation. An example of this would be is in January, anybody ever got their flip-flops out? You get your beach attire out, ready to go to the beach. Do we do that in January? No, basically we stop doing that like September 15th. And what do we do? We hold on to this till about, you know, now-ish. So what happens with all that summer attire? you put it away because it's the wrong season to be wearing your summer attire, correct? Okay, why you recognize the season? Well, for us, it's kind of like that, is that if we're living in an old dispensation, it's like we got our summer attire on in the wintertime, ready to go to the beach. It's the wrong season. It's not time to put that on. Put that away and get your winter coat, right? It's the same type of way. We have got to be clear of how God is revealing and speaking to us today. Now look at this in Mark chapter 9, verse 2 through 8. God really gives us clarity as to what the sound is, how the the dispensation is going to look like. And in verse 2 it says, Six days later Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain to be alone. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. Now this is going to happen to us one day too. Now, and it says, His clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Now it says, verse 4, then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now before I read on, who is Elijah? What is his representation? The prophets, correct? Who is Moses? The law. Okay, so who appeared to him? We have the law and we have the prophets appearing before. Peter exclaimed in verse 5, Rabbi, it's so wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say. (laughs) Anybody ever fit themselves in Peter's category? Woo, regularly. How about we just build a couple of tents for you guys? Why did you say that? I I don't know. I I just really don't know. He said this because he was terrified. Verse 7, then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, now notice, this is what the Father's saying, and this is the dispensation. He's saying, this is my dearly loved Son. Three words, ready? Listen to Him. Right there is dispensation talk, right there. This is the focus, and you see suddenly, verse 8, suddenly when they looked around, Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophets, were gone, and they only saw Jesus with them. The focus of this sensation is see him, listen to him, know him, believe in him, experience Jesus. This is the dispensation that we are now a part of. Okay, now why is this such a big deal? Why did the Father make this such an elaborate experience? Why would, this is a big deal. Like the Father talked through the cloud. This is a big deal. Why did he do this? Because Jesus changes everything. Can you say that with me? Jesus changes everything. 
We've got to see this. And I know you may have heard that. Okay, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that. But man, this is becoming more and more clear to me that this dispensation we are living in has nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him, Jesus. Now let's look at this in John chapter 1. And I've been leaving God, Lord, just to help me give utterance and to speak this because I, I, I'm, I'm, a lot of this is just becoming more and more real on the inside of me. So I'm believing God just that he will give me the words to say. Verse 17, John chapter 1, he says, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Now let's look at this one more time. The law came through Moses. What was the first miracle of Moses? What did he do? Remember at the Nile River? He turned water into blood, meaning death. What was the first miracle of grace? Turning water into wine, meaning life and celebration. It's very, so what we see are very two different covenants. Very two different ways of operating. And so if we're still operating in one, which we're going to look at here in a sec, this gospel of performance... We are going to be extremely frustrated because we're going to get into that right now, looking at it, going, it's all about what I do. So now let's turn here. What did Moses bring in? Moses brought in the law. And we looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago, but I want to do it again just for our eyes. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, let's turn there for a moment. And we're going to read these first couple of verses again, because these are the promises or the blessings that come to those that do what, what God said. Um, I don't know if I have it on there. Okay, well, if you turn into your Bibles, we'll go to your phones. There it is. Perfect. Thank you. Verse 1. Notice the first two words. It is, if you. Now, what we're going to see in this covenant before us, this Old Testament, it is an if you covenant. Say that with me. If you. If you. Now, make sure you say that right. If you. If you. <laughs> if you. Not F you. If you. Okay? It's got to be clear. If you fully obey the Lord, your God, and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving to you today, the Lord, your God, will set you high above all the nations of the world. Now, as we're reading this, these blessings are for us today. Now, I just want you to mention, this is, not, this, this is the blessing of Abraham, but this has now been given to us. So when you read it, don't just go, well, that's old. No, this is for us today. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. So again, what's this covenant all about? If you. It says, verse 3, your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and your flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. Woo! All right. Verse 7, he says, the Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. That's some good stuff to read. That is, that is nice. They will attack you from one direction, but they will scatter from you in seven. <laughs> the Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord God will bless you in the land that he is giving you. Verse 9, if you... Obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. 
The Lord will give you prosperity and the land that he has swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous flocks, and abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. Verse 13, if you... Listen to these commandments of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. And if you carefully obey them, the Lord God will make you the head and not the tail. And you will always be on top and never the bottom. These are the blessings of the Lord. But now what we see is it's all focused on you. It's focused on your behavior. Now, I know you know this, but this is crucial because a lot of times still we get caught up in a gospel of performance mentality. That what do I got to do? Oh, there's some problems in my life. Oh, man, I, I must have done something wrong. And don't get me wrong, there are consequences to actions. Absolutely, I'm not saying that. But a lot of times people think, I'm cursed because I didn't do this properly. Oh, man, it's all about you. That stops. This dispensation, talking about the law, it's man-centered. The focus is on what you must accomplish. Under the law, you are disqualified by your disobedience. And you are only qualified when you do something right. That's what this law is. It's a performance-based covenant, meaning to the degree that I obey God is the degree of blessings that I experience or I have in my life. That's the focus of it. Anybody ever been there before? That's how you lived your life. I'm, I'm sure. It's, a, it's more than anything else. This is the most dangerous thing I think the enemy tries to bring in. It's a spirit of religion. It stinks, it's garbage, and it keeps people in bondage. Now, what is the purpose of this law? Again, Moses through Moses came the law. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 gives us again clarity as to what the law was for. It says no one can ever be made right with God by doing the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So again, this dispensation, the law that came through Moses, what's the purpose of it? Was to show you how nasty you are. And Galatians 3.19, look at this. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise. Again, the promise that God made with Abraham about a certain son coming. That son, yeah, yeah Isaac, obviously, but it, he was talking about Jesus coming. He's like, it was given alongside the promise to show people their what? So what's the purpose of the law? To show you your sin. The gospel of performance is to do what? To show you how bad you are. That's what it's there for. So that came through who? Jesus? No, it came through Moses. Okay, so we're still talking about the first dispensation. Now notice this. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child, Jesus, who was promised. God, oh, it left my screen. Okay, yeah, okay, yep. Yeah. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and his people. But now, you and I, we could never fulfill all 613 commands that God gave Israel. 613 of them. That's a lot of commands. You wake up and you probably committed three by the time you even woke up. It's just, we couldn't do it all. So what did God do? God had to do something. And what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus. Come on, say his name with me. Jesus. And he changed everything. Look at this. What did he do? God sent his son Jesus, and through his life, God was able to do for man what he always wanted to do, which is to lavish us with his grace. That's always what God had in store from beginning. 
So a lot of times what you and I are in the process of doing, and I'm kind of jumping ahead, is renewing our mind to a non-judgmental God. Now look at this, Ephesians 2.7. This is just to show you who God is. Throughout the coming ages, our Father, or sorry, we will be the visible display of the infinite. Say it, I'm going to be on display. Say it one more time. I'm going to be on display. And it doesn't just start when you get to heaven. It starts now. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless, come on, see those words, limitless riches of his grace and his kindness, which he has showered upon us in Christ Jesus. This is what God wanted to do all the time. Was the law pleasing to God? Does that make the law nasty or bad? No, 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 no. The law is good when it's put in its proper context. The law is good because it shows you and I, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot work hard enough. I cannot pray long enough. I cannot do things properly. I can't affect things right without Jesus. So that's why he came. And that's why he came to do it, is to shower you and I in his blessings. So how did Jesus now fulfill God's plan for us? By accomplishing every detail and every purpose of the old covenant. And through his blood now, he satisfied divine justice. There was one thing that was holding back God's infinite, limitless grace upon you and I, and that was his divine justice. Now, why is this so important? i got to just lay some of this out. This is crucial for us because not only did you and I receive at the cross, God received at the cross as well. You think God just did that? Yeah, he did it for you and I, of course. But you know what? It had to be done also for the Father. Because you know what? God's not just going to, oh, you know, you're a bunch of sinners. You know, God is, he's good, but he's also just. So what did the law command? Sin, the wages of sin, Romans 6 tells us, equals death. You and I, we sinned. What is the payment for sin? Death. You and I deserve to die. That cross that Jesus hung on that we celebrated a couple weeks ago, that was our cross. Hell, what was we deserved all of that. That's where we're supposed to go. But Jesus came and he not only satisfied our payment for, the, for sin, he also satisfied the divine justice for our heavenly father. So now God, what he can do, this limitless grace, he can throw at mankind and not have to think, I'm not being just in all this. I'm not being sneaky. I'm not trying to find loopholes. God paid the full payment for you and I. Divine justice has been satisfied. So now this grace can come and be showered upon you and I. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says this, Don't misunderstand why I have come. And it's crucial that we get this. Don't misunderstand. A lot of times, anybody ever have misunderstandings, and that's why you have relational conflict. Or your expectations were one way, and hey, there was a misunderstanding as to you know, what the purpose of this meeting is or what this is for. Jesus is saying the same thing. Don't misunderstand why I'm coming. Why am I coming? I did not come to abolish the law of Moses, meaning, oh, that thing's stupid, it's just done. He said, I came to actually accomplish its purpose. That's why I'm here. Verse 18, he says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose has been achieved. And so we know that Jesus has fulfilled the law. He accomplished it on the cross with his life. He kept all 613 laws perfectly. Wow. Guess what? So guess what? You don't got to do that. Now we just have to believe in him. Woo. So look at this in Hebrews chapter 8, you know. 
I'm just kind of going back for everybody doing okay. We're, we're I'm just laying a little foundation for this. He says, we see now Jesus, our high priest. He has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. What was the old priesthood? Kill an animal, get the blood, and it would cover the sins of the Israelites for that time. So he's got a higher calling. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant. Say that with me. A far better covenant based on better promises. It is if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. Okay? Verse 8, he says, but when God found fault with who? With the people. What's the fault? We can't keep those laws. It's it's so difficult to keep. And that was the intention of it because at that time, some people kind of thought, well, I can do all this stuff. I can can have self-righteousness. I can show God I I can do this stuff. And that's the most dangerous thing in the church, self-righteousness. Well, at least I don't do what that guy's doing over there. Well, look how I'm doing. If you messed up in any part of the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. Not T-H-I-N-D, T-H-A-N-G, thang. You messed up in the whole thang of it. So it's, man, it's bad. So just to think, well, I don't, at least I don't do that. Yeah, but you may be doing this. People kind of looking at, oh, man, it's these, it's these murders, these, you know, adulterers, perverts, and all that. That's why guys going to hell. Yeah, but you mean as H. <laughs> you just mean, and you think that's okay? That's just as guilty as anything else. So we just kind of go, well, which sin is higher? Which sin is better? No, no, they're all wrong. And if you commit one in area, you've committed the whole thing. You're, you miss the whole thing. Fang. Now go back to that verse 8 there for a moment. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I'm going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And you skip down, you can read the covenant, what it is. Verse 11, he says, they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will, look at this. This is so different from when you read in Exodus 33 that God says, I'll remember the sins of the fathers and it's going to go down three or four generations. Right? People know that verse, but how can we skip this one? And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sin. And not only will God never remember it, he also through the blood of Jesus says, neither will you. How could the Apostle Paul say, I have wronged no man? You killed Christians, Paul. Obviously, the blood of Jesus is able to wash over your brain where you have no recollection of all the evil that you've done. Where can that happen? Only in grace. (laughs) All right, verse 13. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he has made the first one. Come on, what's the first one? It is obsolete. It is now out of date. And is now disappearing. So if you and I are still living a life, if you are stuck in this performance mentality, this performance Christianity, where, oh, I got to get out of this addiction. I have to pray this. I got to do this. You are in the wrong dispensation. You are operating in performance, trying to perform to get God to do something for you. It does not work. Why? Because this covenant is the new covenant. This old covenant right here, this, the one, the Old Testament, it is out of date. So you're operating out of date. It's expired. You're, you're doing things and the Lord pays no attention to it. Why? It's expired. Same way, what do you do with a milk jug that's been expired for two months? Do you chug it? No. You may try. 
Got to get my milk in for the day. Not that, not that stuff. The performance-based relationship is finished. Say that with me. Performance is finished. Now, that may rock some of our religious mindsets. This is how I interpreted for myself relationship with God. If I prayed long, I prayed hard, God was pleased. If I read long, read hard, God was pleased. If I, you know, acted a certain way and I was nice and I did things proper, God was pleased. And you know what that is? It's all performance-based relationship. And what's attached to it? Condemnation. Shame. Guilt. I'm not doing enough. We're going to get to that in a sec. Listen, Jesus changed everything. And we have got to know this message of grace. We've got to get it because the world is getting nuttier. It's getting darker. What are they going to start doing when all this stuff just, you know, food supply stop? What are we going to do? i got to learn how to tap into this message of grace. What do they do when all, all, all this blows up? All the systems that I've trusted in and relied on, all of a sudden they come crashing down. What do I got to do? i got to know the gospel of grace. Yeah. i got to know that he's with me no matter what happens. This is how that they, in, you know, when you see the drastic change in between Goshen and Egypt when the Israelites were held in captivity. That there was complete darkness in Egypt, yet you walked over into Goshen, complete light. How is that? The Lord is with them. So we've got to get clear on this gospel of grace. And because this before, religion isn't working anymore. Not that it ever has. But for you and I, that we've tried to make this thing work. I've tried to do good things. I've tried to read hard. Lord, I, I just need to get set free from this. And what do you do? You work, you work, you work. Lord, did you see this? I'm praying. I'm doing. I'm trying all these things. I'm doing everything naturally. Which is, again, if there's no Jesus attached to it, what a waste of time. Grace. Now, Look at this again, John 1.17 in the New King James Bible. It says the law was given through Moses. Performance came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He changed everything. Yeah. <laughs> he changed it all. Yeah. Now, grace is here. As I said, we've got to learn to live our lives in the gospel of grace, not the gospel of performance. Because this is where the frustration lies. Is that I'm living in this 2022, in this dispensation, knowing it is grace, and I'm still trying to perform. I'm still trying to do in order for God to be happy and give me the thumbs up for the day. Only to go to the next day, back to works. I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta be set free, Lord. Okay, I gotta do this. Lord, I want healing. I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do. And listen... Well, of course, there is a form of faith where it requires an action on our part, but not you just stirring something up and say, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm believing God that I can see now. I'm throwing away my glasses. That's stupid. I'm going to give away my car so that's God will give me a better one. You're going to walk forever. What are we doing? We're trying something. We're making faith and grace a genie in a lamp. And we're just rubbing and wishing and just wishing that this stuff would come to pass. And it don't. What do you do? You try harder. At least I did. And you go harder. You're not feeling too good? Well, you know what? You ought to show that. You know, devil, I'm not going to lay down. And you just start running. And you're puking while you run. It's not operating in grace. It's operating out of works. There is a grace-based work that you and I step out into, but if it's a self-work that I'm trying to prove or I'm trying to do something to make this Bible true, I'm off. <clears throat> now, maybe you all know this. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself because I, I needed help. Okay, good. Three people are okay. So, all right. So look at this, Romans 6.14 again. 
Sin is no longer your master. Say that with me. Sin is no longer your master. Why? Because I no longer live in the requirements of the law. Did you catch that? Do you want to know why you're stuck in sin? Is because you are living in the requirements of the law. I'm stuck in a performance-based relationship. I keep dealing with the same issues. Do you know why? It's because you're living your life to try to live by the law. What did the law do? The law showed you how sinful you were. So you're basing your life going, yeah, I got to do better, I got to do better, only to find yourself, okay, I'm never going to do this again. Three weeks later, you're doing it again. Oh, I got to do better, I got to do better. Okay, now it's a month. Only to, to fall back into the same problems and issues again. What's the problem? Is you're living under the requirements of the law. You're going, it's, it's, all, it's all performance-based. I got I to gotta do, I got to do, I got to do. He says, sin is no longer your master. Why? Because you live under the freedom of God's grace. What frees me from sin is I enjoy the freedom of God's liberating grace. <laughs> There's no more, I have to please him. He's pleased. Say it with me. He's pleased. He's not mad at you. He's not mad. Because as long as you're trying to please God, it's never going to happen. It'll never work. So what do I got to do? I got to believe in his son. Now, let me get into this a little bit. What does living under grace mean or look like for us? This is the thing that just came to my heart, is that I've been given now the gift of perfect obedience through Jesus. Listen, I've been given. Say with me, given. What's the gift? Perfect obedience through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I don't have to earn the blessings of God. I can't earn them by my performance, but I'm blessed not because of how good I am. I'm blessed because Jesus obeyed perfectly. Come on, y'all. This is, this is supposed to be like the, oh my God, this is it. I'm free. I, I'm, good. I'm blessed. Every good thing I have in this life is not because of how good I was. It's all because of him. Every good thing that you need or everything that you need in this life, the Bible tells us has already been supplied through his grace. It's already been provided. So what do I do? I live my life now under grace. This is different. And why, why do we got to take the time to teach this? Is because people know how to do church. We know how to speak church. We know how to sing church. We know how to behave church. We know how to do churchy things. And you even take that home with you. I know how to religiously pray. I know how to religiously do things thinking that's going to be pleasing to God. When in fact is, it's not. <laughs> All right, let's move right along. What we need to do is we need to learn how to live, and life is done under grace. This is the only way that I can effectively live on this life, is learning to live a life under the grace of God. Are we okay here? All right, let's look at this here now. Hebrews chapter 3. So what does the Bible, what does the New Testament believer look like when we talk about obedience? Because in the Bible, does it not say that, you know, the, the ones that are doers of the word, or you're supposed to be obedient to the Lord? That's, that's true, Correct. So what does that mean? What does that look like for us as New Testament Christians? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18. Now, I would suggest you highlight this in your Bible. You color it all in and make sure it's bright so you see it every time you flip there. Because this is huge for us. It says, God swore. Now, he's talking about the Israelites. He swore an oath that they would never enter into his calming place of rest, all because they... Come on, because what? They disobeyed him. 
Now, when you hear disobey, what comes to your mind? They, they, didn't, they didn't do something. Okay? Now look at verse 19. Now look how God interchanges this word disobey. In verse 19, it is clear then that they could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their hearts in unbelief. God interchanged the word disobedience and unbelief. So if he's using the word unbelief and disobedience together, what is New Testament obedience? Believing. What's the New Testament call? Believing. So I'm supposed to go back to what this whole test, New Testament of grace is all about is I'm supposed to believe the gospel. What was Jesus' command when he went up to heaven? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Anyone who believes shall be saved. So what's the purpose? Anyone who, who does good work, who works really hard to try to please God? No. He says anyone who believes. So the focus then for New Testament believers is believing. It matters what you believe. It makes a huge difference what you believe. Because if that's equating, God is using that word for obeying with belief, then i got to check up my, make sure my believing is lined up with the word of God. Can you see, what's your work? Believing. What's your work? Believing. Come on, one more time. What's our work? Believing. All right, now, because God equates belief with obedience, my actions are not the first place where belief occurs. In the Old Testament, absolutely. But in this New Testament, the first place of obedience is seen in believing the gospel. So if you were to ask yourself, why do I do that? What's your belief system? What's the motivation behind all that? you got to check your belief system. Check it out. It matters what you believe. Now, the most important thing, as I said, to do as a believer is renew my mind to the gospel of grace. You know, look at this, Romans six seventeen. The apostle Paul said this to the Romans. He said, thank God, once of you were slaves of sin. Why were they slaves of sin? Because they lived under the law. The law makes you a slave to sin. Did you know that? Okay. Now he says, but now. Everyone say, but now. You wholeheartedly obeyed this teaching. What was this teaching? Grace. Grace. Say it with me. Grace. Grace. You believed wholeheartedly this teaching of grace that we have given you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. It actually tells us that it's good that your heart be established in grace. He says this, but not being carried about with various strange and doctrines. I mean, there's a bunch of weird stuff that's out there. He says, for it is good that your heart be established, what? In grace. Where does my heart need to be rooted in? This gospel of grace. When the apostle Paul told the Roman church, hey, you know, I beseech thee, I implore you, I'm begging you by the mercies of God to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. He says, don't copy the behaviors of this world, but let God transform you by changing the way that you think. What's the way that a believer is supposed to be thinking? Is it renewing my mind now to all the stories in the Old Testament? Is it my mind renewed basically on what Jesus has done? Yeah, that, that's good. What, what specific Specifically, do I got to zero in on for me to actually have a new renewed mind so I can effectively live in this dispensation called grace? I have to renew my mind to the gospel of grace. Jesus paid it all. I'm blessed because of Jesus. I'm not blessed because I do something. I'm blessed because he in his perfect obedience did it for him, for me. 
So it's no longer Joel plus Jesus equals right standing with God. It's Joel, I can't do a thing at all to ever get to that place. So what do I do? I need him. I need him, I need him, I need him. It's Jesus only. And when I embrace Jesus, not only as my Savior, as my right standing, as what he's provided for me by his grace, I experiencing all the blessings of God. It's all him. It's got nothing to do with us. <laughs> okay. So why is this so crucial that our hearts be established in this grace? Again, so I can walk with God in this dispensation properly and so that I can discern what is truth and what is not truth. I'll give you just a good example. As a believer whose life is under grace, I can never say again that God is mad at me. God's mad. He's not. Well, how do you know that? You got to have scripture. Look at Isaiah 54 because he's talking about what's going to yet to come. Isaiah 54, 9, just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never again let the flood cover the earth, so now I swear that I will never again be angry and punish you. That's good news. Is God going to punish you? No. Will you ever experience punishment? No. Why? I'm under grace. I'm under grace. What is grace doing? It's making a huge deal about what Jesus did. And we'll get into this as time goes on because a lot of people say, and you know, well, if I'm living under grace, you know, you see that in Romans chapter six, you can just, well, shall we continue in sin there so God's grace can even be more and more rampant? What a stupid thought. Grace teaches us to live separate from sin. When you see what Jesus did, when you experience his love and his kindness and all that he's done for you, you don't want to do that stuff anymore because it's the goodness and the kindness of God that makes people or leads people into repentance. Not the harshness. <laughs> when you see people turn or burn, turn or burn, guess what they're doing? They're turning. They don't want to talk to those guys. People don't need to hear how nasty, how brutal they are. They already know. And sadly, a lot of the church already knows too. So we live in this place of, oh God, I'm unworthy. I'm no good. It, trying to be holy, trying to be right. It is absolutely a slap in the face of the grace of God. We will never say that again. Why? Because Jesus accomplished it all. And look at this. When Jesus comes back, I'll give you one more example. As a believer in Jesus, again, whose life is under grace, Jesus is not bringing up my sin. In fact, the sin dial has been turned off. He's never talking about it. How much of your conversation with the Lord has been about how you missed it all the time? Think about it. How much time do you spend talking about it with them? Oh, God, I missed it. I missed this. I missed this. Sure, of course, there's a repentant going, Lord, I messed it up. Can you teach me by your grace now? Show me how to live this righteous lifestyle that you've taught, that you've got me into. Rather than shame, I got to do better. I got to do better. It doesn't work. Look at this in Hebrews 9.28. It says, Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. And when he's coming, it's not to deal with our sin. Why? It's already been dealt with. You spend so much time of, I did this, I did that. Listen, the dial is off. The grace dial is on. So what do we do? Awake unto righteousness. Awake unto the grace of God and sin not. Meaning this, oh, this stuff just falls off me. 
You know, just for time, I don't have, uh, let me just finish this up. Go to Luke chapter 5 here for a moment. I don't have this on the screen. But I want you just to see this, just in the, in the life of Peter. Luke chapter 5. Let's pick up verse 1. He says, Now one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out to where it's deeper and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we have worked hard. You hear the word? We have worked hard. Other translations say we have toiled endlessly by our sweat. All night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let down the net again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help came. Verse 8 says, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before and said to the Lord, Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck with how much fish they had caught and where the others were with him. What came first, Peter's repentance or God's blessing? Grace. Well, say with me, grace. grace. What caused Peter's heart to turn towards the Lord? He saw the goodness of God. He went, oh, he was awestruck. And what happened? He fell to his knees. Lord, I, I, I'm a sinful man. That's how Jesus won the man over, showing his kindness. He's still doing the same thing today. Even in your life, you may be stuck in something. You know where you need to go? Get out of the requirements of the law. Establish your heart under this grace and go, Lord, teach me to live under this grace. Because I'll tell you, when you wake up, it's different. I woke up, I just go, I got another day. He gave me another day. He didn't have to do all this. With all the mess in the world, he could have just stopped it at a certain time and go, man, that, it get nasty and nasty out there. No, but his mercies are new every morning. His grace continues to go upon the, 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 the righteous and the unrighteous alike. He is still good. He is still calling. He is still reaching. He is still pulling for people. Why? Because he loves them. He cares about him. His heart is to lavish his kindness and his grace over all of mankind. Those who accept it now can live under this place going, oh, I live in the freedom of God's grace. No more sin consciousness. No more condemnation. No more guilt. I'm free in the liberty that Jesus has purchased for me. Now this is what the whole book of Galatians, I'm finishing here, Julian, if you're there. And the whole book of Galatians is all about because the book of Galatians is talking to churches who started off. You see this in Galatians 5 verse 1. Galatians, you are running your race so well. What's he talking about? Living this life of grace. All of a sudden he said, what happened to you? Who has bewitched you? Who told you that you need to go back into this circumcision mindset that you have to do something in order to get, in order to do, in order to please God? What is wrong with you? That's basically the message to the church. You can write that in Galatians. Galatians, what is wrong with you? He's going, your belief system is offline. He's not talking to them about some sin that they were committing. He was talking to them about, hey, the belief system is off. You at one time, you received the gospel. What Jesus did, you could read that. He said, you actually heard the gospel preached in such a way that you saw the Messiah hanging there for you. And now that you think that you've started this off in the spirit, you can finish it off by your good works? Ludicrous. It's messed up thinking. So what's he saying? Come back. 
come back to this place of fully trusting in what Jesus has already provided for us. That's the only way you're going to make it. So I don't know about you, but there's time I just, Lord, I, I need help. What do I do? Okay, your grace, your grace, your grace, your grace. Lord, what do I do? My marriage is on the rocks. Grace, grace, grace. Lord, my kids, grace, you love me, you love me, you love me. I can always go back to the grace of God because that's the place that I stand. I've been given the gift of perfect standing with him. Can you receive it? If I have to earn it, it's not grace. If I have to work hard for something, it's not grace. His grace, and I tell you, this whole covenant that we see in the New Testament is just filled with the promises of God that his grace has already provided. Everything, listen, everything you would ever need, a sound mind, a healed body, restored relation, it's all found in the grace of God. So what do I do? I live in it. How do I establish my heart? I take the time now to renew my heart, renew my mindset to, he did the work. I live in it. Thank you, Jesus. I can't earn my freedom from addiction. Somebody needs to hear this morning. I can't earn my freedom from addiction. You could try as hard as you want. You have got to let the grace of God. Aren't you tired? Jesus said that to to some people in Matthew chapter 11. Aren't you burned out on religion? Aren't you tired of trying? Aren't you tired of trying to figure this whole thing out? He said, now let the rhythms of grace learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, learn the rhythms of grace. So what do I do? I rest in that. This morning, wherever you're at and the situations that you're facing, can I encourage you that the grace of God is well able, well able. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. If you're thinking, man, I missed it even this morning coming to church, whatever, you've got to bring yourself back. You know what repentance actually means in the Hebrew? It means to turn back to the cross and turn back, or sorry, it goes to return. It's, it's in Hebrew, so there's five characters. The first character says to return, and then this, the middle three words is the cross, and the last word of the fifth character is grace. Return to the cross and experience his grace. This is what it's all about. Something's off in your life, what do I do? I return to the cross, and I experience the grace doesn't say I go back to the law of Moses and start doing what the law says. If that's what he meant, he would have done that. But he's telling you and I, you can't do it on your own. Stop trying. Stop trying to fix it. So what do I do? I return to the cross. And what's the cross? It is the greatest substitutionary work that ever took place. My sin for his righteousness. My mess ups, my problems, my addictions, my crazy soul, all of that was substituted for a peace of mind and I return back and I go, thank you for your grace. So this morning, can we just take an opportunity just to open again, like what Pastor Jamie said earlier, and Courtney just said during our offering, expectation. Let's just turn that toward the cross here for a moment. What do you need to just say, Lord, I, I can't do this anymore. Here it is. 
I'm just putting it here and I'm returning to your grace. And grace sounds like this. I need this for my own life. A breath of fresh air. Religion is so hard. I don't know about you, but I'm declaring a war on religion. I hate it. Because what has it done? It's, it's pulled me in so many directions trying to work, please, get something sorted, get something fixed, and it's never worked. So what do you do? For myself, I try harder. I wake up at four. I'm going to try even harder. And what happens? Now I'm grumpy. No sleep. I got four kids running around. And now what? I'm just irritable. And my family's... And I'm going, I can't do this. So God says, stop, cross, return to grace. That's what repentance is. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. So this morning, whatever it is, can we just give the Lord an opportunity to shower us and at the same time reveal to us now, Lord, how do I live a life under grace? Because I'll tell you, it's so different from the dispensation of the law. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. Burnt out on religion, thinking that it was the gospel. It's the gospel of performance. So the Lord gave me a good spanking. He said, no, that's not it. It's the best spanking I ever got. And I'm still learning it. Don't get me wrong. I'm still learning it. That's why you're, you're probably going, I'm trying to figure all this out. I, I trust that the Spirit of God is able to make this real to you. Sweetheart, did you want to come up for a second? Let's just... Give the God just an opportunity this morning, though. Just as we use. A spirit, grace and truth, they work together. And so this grace that has been taught to us this morning, this grace is so real. And it's just, he wants to lavish it. But he can't meet you where you pretend to be. I believe there's someone that wants to be free so bad this morning. So bad from addiction, from a certain mentality, whatever it is. But you've got to want it so bad that you're able to even acknowledge before God, yeah, I got a problem. Like, I am struggling with something and I need help. And immediately, grace comes. Grace frees. No condemnation. No shame. But he can't meet you where you pretend to be. You have got to be open and honest. So whatever you want to do right now, I believe you got to do that with just your heart open before him. Yeah. So, Father, we just open up our hearts. I want to encourage you. If there's something that you need to do to show surrender, do it. For me, I'm kneeling. Lord, I, I can't do it. I can't do this on my own. But with you, you said in John 15 that I am the branch. You are the vine. And apart from you, I can do nothing. So, Father, this morning, I just believe that we need to reattach ourselves to the vine, the true vine of grace, not the vine of performance, not the vine of religion. Lord, I just surrender myself. We surrender as a church family to you again, to teaching us. Sir, we ask you from the depths of our being, teach us how to live lives under the grace of God. Oh, thank you, Lord. The fruit of it is freedom. Freedom. Thank you, Lord. I just speak that again. Freedom in Jesus' name. Weights being lifted off by the grace of God. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Jesus. Worship you, Lord. Carrie, would you come up just for a second? Would you come for just a moment? Thank you, Jesus. Just stay there just for a moment. Carrie's going to just sing over us. Just this freedom. As we just take a moment, now I just I know in your hearts you just return to the cross, therefore going through grace. So let's just just receive now. I surrender all to you. Oh, I surrender all to you. As we receive your grace, as we receive your grace, oh, I surrender all to you. Oh, I surrender all to you. Oh, pour out your grace, God, as you pour out your grace. I let it all go. I let it all go. I let it all go. I set it free. I let it all on the inside of me by the spirit of grace intentionally intentionally hook your life up to my grace intentionally embrace my grace thank you Lord intentionally let your heart be established in my word of grace and your days of laughter and joy that are for you that you've never yet seen. 
because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So I just again hear this on the inside of me. Intentionally, intentionally align your life with my grace. And days of heaven on earth are for you and your family. But it's intentional. It's intentional living. It's on purpose, hooking my life up to his grace. It's not some magic potion that you can take for this. Not some kind of prayer you could just go, okay, Lord, help me do, I'm going to do this now. It's I'm intentionally getting into this gospel of grace and I'm allowing it to transform the way that I live. So the next time you hear people say, oh, God's mad at you. No, 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 no. It can't be because my God, I live under grace. He's not. That's the truth. Thank you, Lord. So we surrender ourselves to you again, afresh this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. He's very kind. <laughs> Isn't he kind? Well, thank you for allowing us just to take that time together as a family. I believe those times are important just to let the Spirit of God have a way in our lives. Because we don't want to just do church, right, church? We just, we want Him to have full reign in that. So thank you for that time. Thank you.